0: Welcome to This Week in the Warner Archive Collection, where we discuss our newest releases. I'm George Feltenstein, and I'm proud to be joined by my colleagues Matt Patterson and D.W. Ferranti. We have a spectacular septet of new additions to the Warner Archive Collection this week running the gamut from blue to DVD and with big screen, small screen. And then we're even gonna talk about some new additions to Warner Archive Instant, our subscription video on demand service that you can try for one month free on your PC, Mac, your Roku, your Roku stick, your iPad, which you can stream to your Apple TV with AirPlay. But right now, let's talk about the new additions Physical additions to the Warner Archive collection. We start out with the biggest news of the month, and that is Blue. Blue doesn't make us sad. Blue makes us happy when it's Blu ray. And this is an actual remake of a movie that we released mm. with a similar story years ago in the Falcon series. It's based on the novel Farewell, My Lovely, but was given the more masculine title Murder, My Sweet. From 1944, an RKO film noir classic directed by Edward Dmitryk and starring Dick Powell, Claire Trevor, and Anne Shirley. And also on DVD, we have several titles making their debut. There's an MGM classic from 1931 that holds a very special place in film history. The original Trader Horn, starring Harry Carey. And then we have the skating lady of monogram pictures, Belita, she's been in a lot of film noir, but she did a couple of skating musicals. And this is one of them, it's called Lady Let's Dance skating is nowhere in the title but it certainly fills the film and staying in the monogram allied artist world of things we have our third and final kirby grant and chinook triple feature volume three of the adventures of corporal rod webb and his faithful dog chinook trail of the yukon fangs of the arctic and Northern Patrol, all three movies on one dandy disc. Then we head to the world of television, where we complete the series with the third and final season of Spencer for Hire, season three, starring the great Robert Urich and Avery Brooks, this from 1987-88 originally broadcast on ABC. Next, we have a collection of very special specials, and they are from the talented team of animation greats, Bill Hanna and Joe Barbera. The Hanna-Barbera Specials Collection contains The Last of the Curlews from 1972, Oliver and the Artful Dodger from 1972, The Adventures of Robin Hoodnick from 1972, and Cyrano, from 1974 so that makes up the Hanna-Barbera specials collection but we have another Hanna-Barbera special that's so special it's getting its own individual release and this program received an Emmy for outstanding special of 1967 and it is Jack and the Beanstalk starring produced and directed by the one and only Gene Kelly, a Warner Archive favorite. So that's a mixture of live action and animation available on DVD for the first time. Let's talk about these new releases and
1: start with Murder, My Sweet. The story behind the title change from Farewell, My Lovely is because this film, which very much launched Dick Powell phase two, They were afraid if it went out with Farewell, My Lovely, people were going to think it was a Dick Powell musical, which it most certainly is not. They were afraid that people would think it was Lady Let's Dance. Right.
2: At this time, Raymond Chandler was well-known.
1: And working for studios, too. A little picture called Double Indemnity came out the same year.
2: And we're in full, like, film noir territory.
1: What is really great about Murder, My Sweet is the dialogue is just lifted directly from the page. The voice of Philip Marlowe that Dick Powell has is is Raymond Chandler.
2: And, And that... That is where uh, a lot of people consider this one of the best adaptations of his work because by telling it in flashback, the voiceover becomes part
1: of the plot. Philip Marlowe, and I didn't realize this until this week, next to Sherlock Holmes is the most portrayed detective in cinema. So there have been many, many, many Philip Marlowe's. This was the first But because of the very many sort of hard-boiled, tough guy and, you know, it's kind of – once Humphrey sets a mark, other people try to match it. People look at this Philip Marlowe and – who just really watched the movies and like, well, that's not really Philip Marlowe. But it is. Dick Powell had been seeking, and George can probably speak to this better than I, but Powell had been looking to become more dramatic. And my understanding is that by getting Powell for this movie, it actually helped get them better budget. He had done non musicals,
0: he had moved away from musicals. Mm-hmm. He was under contract here at Warner Brothers for about seven years. Mm-hmm. And then he was freelancing at other studios. He had done some work at Paramount. He had done some work at Columbia. But by coming to RKO, it was a reset, yeah. really, for him. I made a reference to it earlier, but the plot of Farewell, My Lovely, the novel upon which Murder, My Sweet is based, was actually the basis for one of the Falcon films. The Falcon takes over. Which had proceeded really only- uh, Three years, like, two years? Couple of years before,
2: and in that series, you know they got the hard-boiled detective part down. But this one really, it is Philip Marlowe. Like oh, it's, absolutely, it's very, you know, plot is the one Falcon thing.
0: version is very sanitized compared to this. This is style and substance together, a rare combination, and one of the greatest successes we had in our Blu-ray releases last year about this time was the magnificent RKO noir out of the past and we've been wanting to follow up with another noir of that kind of stature and so we've been working on murder my Sweet for quite some time until we could make it truly sweet and looking gorgeous on blu-ray he's understating that by the way it looks amazing so I should also point out that this was released on dvd It had kind of a landmark status in warner when we did our first film noir classics collection mm-hmm. in 2004 murder my sweet and out of the past were in that group as essential noirs that started the wave of film noir collections from us for years to come and then for other studios to continue on in the tradition that we started and follow in our footsteps and it began the rediscovery and re-establishment on a broad sense of noir. The Film Noir Foundation was founded soon thereafter. Here's to Eddie Muller and Alan K. Rody and the Film Noir Foundation who are good friends to the Warner Archive collection. And then film Noir started to find a place on TCM. And now Film Noir is recognized. It was the French, of course, who, coined a phrase in in the 60s, I think. Yes. Certainly it wasn't ignored before our DVD sets in 2004, but the plateau, the position that it was put upon, and all that followed all throughout the industry and by cinephiles everywhere since then has continued to escalate and gain momentum. You have to go back to seminal movies like Out of the Past, like Murder, My Sweet, like double indemnity really to catch the essence of noir and murder my sweet is truly the essence of noir
2: this is about access you know this is really that story and you know back in the 90s when i was in the film school of course we saw some of the seminal noirs which were uh, maybe on 16 millimeter or on vhs But the selection that you could get was not, you know, like it was the best of. But by having these collections and, you know, even with the Warner Archive and everything and with things like the Film Noir Foundation, it's kind of amazing that you can see uh, good, solid versions of all these things and that uh, with like these Blu-rays, it continues to get even better.
0: We're thrilled to add Murder My Suite in Blu-ray to the Warner Archive Collection, and we hope you'll go to Amazon.com or any other e-tailer that carries Warner products and order your copy today. Now we'll go back in time to the dawn of sound and the earliest days of sound and cinema when MGM had the bravery to take their sound equipment, cameras, and actors Uh. across the world to the continent of Africa and do on-location shooting for the legendary classic Trader Horn, which was released in 1931, starring the wonderful Harry Carey. And there is as much story about
1: the making of this film as there is in the film itself. This was the first, I believe, narrative feature shot on location in Africa. Yes. Full, non-documentary.
2: That is the case. And much like Eskimo, which we talked about a few weeks ago. So
1: who did Van Dyke piss off that they kept on sending him out to nearly die making these
0: films? He was a journeyman director at MGM. They would give him any kind of film. And he would do it, deliver it, and most of his films made lots of money. Mm-hmm. But Trader Horn made tons of money because it was like National Geographic on the screen, real life with the story. And it's still, I think, somewhat shocking.
2: Harry was supposed to have done some of his own stunts and swinging on the vine with the alligator. Where he swinging.
1: nearly loses a leg? Yeah. 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 And, that and that's lo- real, folks. <laughs> yeah.
2: And to put yourself again in. This is like Eskimo, you don't realize people had not seen anything like this right. before.
0: Right. It was really, you know, we've become spoiled because we have such access to seeing things now. Whole channels. With the whole channels dedicated just to rhinoceroses. But this is a real filmed record of a time and place. And also, if you think that sound, for all intents and purposes, The first all-talking film where there was no music and dialogue sequences but all-talking film had only been released less than three years before this, that now you had a fully sound film shot halfway around the world and the cameras and the sound equipment had to be remote. And, yes, there was some location photography done in Mexico, and a couple of pickup shots done at the studio. But MGM went to great pains to vouch for the authenticity of the movie. And the film was a box office phenomenon, so much so that it was re-released as late as the 1950s on a wide Um, basis because it could still capture an audience's attention. And then it went on to be a staple on television, and then there was a remake of sorts starring Rod Taylor in 1973 that also came from MGM that was not nearly as successful, and the original has withstood the test of time. It was available on VHS in a very old master, and it is that same very old master that has been on television, but it took us... The difficult task of remastering the film now for this DVD release and working with the film and sound elements, which were just dog-eared.
2: Because we were saying before, the more popular the right, film Right the harder it is to reconstruct the element.
0: The audio is now cleaned as best as possible, but the initial element that we received had like, you know, bumps every couple of seconds, splices, pops, and clicks, and blops, and so the picture was a mess, the sound was a mess, and we did our best to make the presentation as impressive as we could. And it is really uh, an omission in the list of great classic films that we're now able to correct by making it available on DVD and we highly recommend Trader Horn
2: and it does have a notable extra
1: speaking of (laughs) dog-eared that's right Trader (laughs) Hound
2: they're one of the dogville comedies uh, which we had previously released on DVD but we put it's almost like the Mad Magazine short film like but starring dogs in costumes, reenacting the plot in miniature sets.
1: Right. So watch Trader Horn first. Yes. And it will only really, really enhance your enjoyment of Trader Horn. Because it follows Hound. the plot yeah, the almost literally.
0: Con- yeah. And of course, they had done this for many films. There was the Dogway Melody borrowing a plot from Broadway Melody. There was College Hounds, which is similar to Good News. There was the Big Dog House, which was... The Similar to the big house, but this is so close character names. I mean, and then dressing the dogs up as natives, it's hysterical. So we recommend our Dogville comedy collection. But for those of you who haven't seen it, when you buy Trader Horn, watch the movie, watch the reissue trailer, which is the only trailer that survives, and then watch Trader Hound and have a giggle. It's enjoyable on its own, but after you've watched the movie, you'll enjoy it so much more. Now we go from Metro-Goldwyn-Mayer to Monogram. In 1944, Belita was the queen of the silver skates. She even made a movie called Silver Skates, I believe. Mm -hmm. And uh, Lady Let's Dance shows that she could do more than just skate and sing and act. She could also dance. And this is one of the rare monogram musicals. And they really rolled out the red carpet for this film. Yeah, this is almost an A
1: picture for monogram. And I was going to say, it's... It almost reaches allied artist level. (laughs) It's in the spirit of the Warner Brothers musicals. Yes. It's very much a behind the scenes musical musical
2: i think it was actually nominated for some awards now it's
0: interesting that you bring that up because it's a it reflects a rule of the academy that no longer exists you Mm. say how did this movie get nominated for an academy award yes the rule was back in those days that every studio could submit at least one film for the musical category of scoring So you had little companies like Monogram or, you know, PRC or whatever submitting their entries along with the MGM entry and the Paramount entry and the Warner Brothers entry and the 20th Century Fox entry. And there were more than just five nominees. There were like 10 or whatever. And so there are some odd films that can claim that they have... Academy Award nominations and that is exactly how that happened. The rule was abandoned I think the year after this film was made or shortly thereafter and the amount of nominees was reduced to five and not just because the studio submitted one. But Monogram was very proud of this movie and uh, it also co-stars James Ellison who you may recognize as Jimmy Ellison in some of the Monogram Cowboy collections made only a few years
1: later. He uh, donned a cowboy hat and became a sidekick. Figure skating fans will also enjoy the fact that this is one of the screen uh, performances of Frickin' Frack. Clowns of the ice. Belita, before she was the ice queen of noir, Mm -hmm. she was a huge ice capade star. And that's what led to this film career was like all of America loved her on ice. You're reminding me of
0: that great line in Hannah and Her Sisters, When Woody Allen realizes he thinks his character is dying, he says, Oh, my God, now I'm going to have to sit through the ice capades <laughs> all over. <laughs> you know, when he's thinking right. about reincarnation. Yeah, <laughs> Lady Let's Dance is a delightful, big budget for monogram, musical delight. And if you like looking at films you really can't see anywhere else. Ooh, this,
2: is this is rare. This is rare.
0: And uh, you'll get a kick out of it. So we heartily recommend it. Now to very familiar territory for Warner Archive fans, we have a third and final version of our releases starring Kirby Grant and Chinook, the Wonder Dog.
1: I believe this is a journey we began in 2012. Really? Yes, Mm -hmm. and
0: here we are now in 2015 completing the journey to the best of our ability. Now why do I say that? That means that we've released three movies on a disc, and then a second volume with three movies on a disc, and a third volume with three movies on a disc. That's nine movies. But there were, in fact, 10 made in this series. Where is the 10th movie? Not in our library. Sadly, Allied Artists sold off a bunch of films to a third party years before Lorimar bought Allied Artists and years before we bought Lorimar. Therefore, that 10th Kirby Grant and Chinook Adventure, not part of our library, nothing we are able to release. So with this release, which starts with Trail of the Yukon from 1949 and then moves on to Fangs of the Arctic from 1953 and concludes with Northern Patrol from 1953, this completes our ability to bring you Kirby Grant, a.k.a. Sky King. Kirby Grant is wonderful in these movies, as is Chinook the dog. And, um, these are based on a series of novels.
2: It's a curious amalgam of like westerns, sort of crime movies, and dog films. These all are monogram
0: westerns set in the northern Arctic, with a bit of the
1: monogram police procedural. Yeah,
2: they were actually really shot in Big Bear, which isn't too far from here. But
1: does get cold. It does. It does get cold. It and, snows in Big Bear. And, well, not recently.
2: But what I kind of like the most uh, in this is that you could use an old west set but everybody would wear a fur hat that made it Canada and instead of having a shootout on horses they would get in canoes. I love the canoe
1: duels. Now uh, Trail of the Yukon is the first Very of the first. films and you'll notice particularly that Kirby Grant isn't playing Rod Webb he's no, his name Bob is Bob McDonald. Yeah they gave him a different name for this one film and it's a little more Canadian and this one was directed by a familiar name to the Bowery Boys fans which is William Bodine. Matthew, what do you think the Canadian theme was all about? (laughs) (laughs) Which the eighth and ninth film, one of the things that's interesting about Thanks to the Arctic and Northern Patrol is journeyman actor, journeyman screenwriter, Warren Douglas... Acts in number eight And uh. wrote number nine Now Warren Douglas would go on to write An enormous quantity of classic TV shows That we've talked about Like Sugarfoot and Cheyenne Of probably greatest interest to Clint Walker fans Is Warren Douglas is the guy that wrote Night of the Grizzly
2: And then of course You have Chinook, who... He's not a Chinook. He's not a Chinook. He's an
1: Alsatian, but he's a great dog. And if you like these films and you like Chinook, his only other performance on screen was in uh, Mickey Mouse Club's Corky and White Shadows. Segue for
0: our journey into television and the television programs that we're now releasing in this latest batch of Warner Archive gems. And one of our biggest sellers, not unexpectedly has been Spencer for Hire, starring Robert Urich and Avery Brooks, the great detective action show shot on location in Beantown. And it was, in fact, the reason that it was not... Extended. My understanding was that filming in Boston was too expensive, and that's why they nope. didn't go more than three seasons.
2: Nobody else wanted to film in Boston.
0: You know, I don't think that would happen today because things are filmed all over the place. But in any event, the show is so well-loved. People have been wanting it for years and years. We finally answered the call Last year with season one, and we've gotten seasons two and three out as quickly as we could, getting the music clear and making the picture beautiful and the sound crisp. And people noticed in season two, and it holds true for season three, that season two, and they will notice in season three as well, looked even better than season one. And that is because the production budgets went up. And this is a wonderful show. And now you can complete
1: your collection. There are also some very interesting guest stars. Samuel (laughs) Jackson comes by, E.G. Marshall, Ving Rhames, very much before he was Ving Rhames, Annie McDowell, William Hickey, and for those fans of uh, the brother's chicken, Giancarlo Esposito. And even though this was sadly the last season, there's a nice capper in it in Mm -hmm. that Susan comes back and that storyline and relationship gets resolved. And there's an episode here which actually reveals why Spencer left the force and he gets some closure on that.
2: And that's the turns out to be the last episode. It's
1: nice that this series never jumped the shark and that
0: it stayed great from beginning to end and continued on in some made-for-television movies that sadly we don't own. But the popularity, almost 30 years later, is unabated and a great testament to the talents of everybody involved. So here's to Spencer. We're so thrilled that we've been able to bring the whole series to DVD in short order once we were able to get all the clearances taken care of. And we're delighted to bring it your way. It's a five-disc set. They look magnificent. Each episode is action-packed and a lot of fun. Now, we'll go back a decade or so, and we've got a collection of very interesting specials from the studios of Hanna-Barbera. The first of these has a very notable distinction of being the first in the series of ABC
1: after-school specials and won an Emmy Award. A well-deserved Emmy Award, but I do want to mention, for starters, this collection is very much like solid nostalgia memory lane for me in particular because this was my Saturday morning, Saturday school afternoon fair. I watched all of these on ABC. And The Last of the Curlews is one of a number of cinematic TV experiences that made me as damaged as everyone in my generation is.
0: Unfortunately, The Last of the Curlews, which is based on a famous book, the title does kind of give a spoiler (laughs) spoiler. to what is in this. And I defy anybody to watch it and not shed a tear, especially if you are fond of animals. They did not... They Uh, didn't pull any punches. Soft soap this. Yeah.
2: It's about an Eskimo or an Arctic curlew and his migratory path, but um, he couldn't find any other curlews until one fateful day, and then.
1: And then we'll leave it there.
2: Yeah, they go back. It is beautifully animated, especially for as people sort of characterize this era of TV animation, but it has a wonderful palette. It feels very alive. Kind of in an educational way, scientific. Like, you could see why they picked this.
0: Why it won an Emmy.
2: If I saw this when I was little, it would have haunted my dreams for many, many years.
0: So the ABC after-school specials uh, lasted for years and years and years. But this was the first of the after-school specials, the last of the curlews. The rest of the... uh, On a lighter note. (laughs) The rest of the specials in here are equally of high caliber, but not as heart-tugging. Uh, although though there are heart-tugging moments, we have Oliver and the Artful Dodger, which was actually presented over two yeah. successive Saturdays when they did the Saturday morning movies. They were basically taking the concept of the TV Movie of the Week, which ABC had developed on Tuesday nights at 9.30 with these 90-minute movies. They decided to make 60-minute movies for kids that were animated, and a lot of them were based on more famous live-action TV properties, like there was an I Dream of Jeannie one, and there was a Lost in Space one, and uh, there was the Banana Splits in Hocus Pocus Park. But uh, Oliver and the Artful Dodger was an opportunity for Hannah and Barbera to take the Charles Dickens novel of Oliver Twist, which was then very popular because of the stage success and film success, Oliver, the musical that Lionel Bart wrote. This is a few years later. Hanna-Barbera did a TV
1: adaptation of the story and it is quite delightful. Well, it's really more of a sequel. Sequel. It's very much sort of uh, positioned as in many ways a sequel to the musical. Yeah, Yeah.
2: Mr. Barlow has died.
1: Just because you thought everything was happy for Oliver at the end of Oliver, Hanna-Barbera would have you know that Mr. Barlow dies and the will gets taken and Oliver needs help from the Artful Dodger to get it back. It really is quite a fun special. They changed the names around and took a lot of liberties, but they had a lot
0: of fun. The Adventures of Robin Hood, Nick, took the Adventures of Robin Hood and had a lot of fun with it. Just as Disney was about to do a little later in a
1: feature-length film with animals. Interesting piece of zeitgeist there because it was just parallel production. No one was ripping anybody off, but they both had the same idea, and they both commenced animation. And, And the underlying property was free for the taking.
2: But what's interesting about this, and sort of you can't help but mentally compare it to the Disney version is this is like the Saturday morning Hanna-Barbera. This this is the
1: funny animal Hanna-Barbera version of Robin Hood. Then we have another
0: very special special that that was aired, I think, possibly in primetime. And that is The Three Musketeers, which I believe was in 1973. Yes. And it is not related to the Three
1: Musketeers that were part of the Banana Splits Hour. Even though when they did a VHS of this, those are the Musketeers they put on the package.
2: It's easy to but understand. But it was Alex
1: Toast. so, you know, you're going to go for the best when you're looking but for packages. this is Alexandra
0: Dumas' Three Musketeers. And, of course, there was a live-action film directed by Richard Lester of the Three Musketeers playing in theaters. So... Hanna-Barbera were very creative and aggressive at taking advantage of an opportunity yeah. and like what we, we call drafting now. Mm-hmm. And they were drafting off the theatrical success of The New Three Musketeers, which had also been made as a live-action movie
1: probably five times by then. I mean this in a complimentary way. It's very much like a Classics Illustrated That's version.
2: exactly what it's yep, like. This is
1: cl- Classics Illustrated come to life. A lot of
0: these are. And that's certainly true for the last in these specials which is Cyrano and what is distinguishing about this animated version of Cyrano is you have Jose Ferrer who won an Oscar for playing the title role in Cyrano de Bergerac in 1950. He does the voice of Cyrano in this animated version and is credited as the dialogue director. All these specials are unique and worthy of bringing out especially at this time of year, as we approach the holiday yeah. season... And if you're a
1: fan of the DC TV show The Flash, Victor Garber is the voice of Christian on this. Oh. Victor Garber, of course, will play as Dr. Stein. And at a that firestorm. time,
0: he had just been in Godspell off-Broadway. And he was in the movie of Godspell. He was a young actor and... He's had uh, a
1: much bigger career than people realize.
0: Oh, yeah. I mean, I saw him on Broadway in Sweeney Todd. He's had a, a very vast and multifaceted career but this is the earliest part of his career So he was probably cast in the role by Jose Ferrer. Right. Uh, Because they are really good actors all the way through. Mm -hmm. It's it's really terrific. So this is a multi-disc set with multiple specials and uh, a lot of work has gone into the research and restoration of a lot of this material because a lot of it hasn't been seen since it was originally aired. But we really hope you enjoy this very special collection of Hanna-Barbera specials. Now, even more special than any of those and it's not to put them in a lesser light but we had something that was so special we figured it had to be on a disc all by itself and it won an Emmy because it was just that good and it's Hanna-Barbera's Jack and the Beanstalk starring the great Gene Kelly who also produced and directed it and it is a reunion of sorts of Gene Kelly and Hannah and Barbera who at MGM had collaborated twice, most famously in 1945 for the King Who Couldn't Dance sequence in Anchors Away and the Worry Song, which Gene Kelly danced with Jerry the Mouse. And then Hannah and Barbera as the leading lights in the MGM animation department, collaborated with Kelly again in 1952 or 53, for invitation to the dance and the sinbad the sailor sequence and the reason why i was giving you kind of squishy dates on invitation to the dance is that was a film that was long in production and then sat on the shelf for many years Uh, and it wasn't released until 1956 in a limited way and then 57 in a national way because it's an all dance film And MGM had so much confidence in Gene Kelly's inestimable talents that they gave him the ability to make such a film, even though there wasn't much an audience for such a film. But it is available from the Warner Archive collection. But after having done these combination live animation and live action and animation sequences in feature films, Hanna-Barbera had formed their own production company in 1957 and a decade later they were the king of television animation and they joined forces again with gene kelly to create jack and the beanstalk as an original television musical with a score of songs by the amazing sinatra favorite songwriting team of sammy Kahn and jimmy van heusen so you've got a great score gene kelly a young child actor named Bobby Raya, and even the famous voice double of Audrey Hepburn in My Fair Lady and Deborah Carr in King and I and Natalie Wood in West Side Story, the lovely Marnie Nixon. She provides a singing voice for one of the leading characters in Jack and the Beanstalk. So this is a lot of fun and very, very interesting and uh, it was made on a very limited budget because it was done for television so it doesn't have that quality of when you mix live action and animation doesn't have the quality of a higher budget production that you would have had theatrically so some of the optical effects are a little bit transparent but that doesn't take anything away from the excellence of the program
1: the art direction is so charming that stuff really just fades away I mean you're just the world it creates works Part of that is both the live action and the animation work so well together from a design standpoint. They had Alex Toth, who was the great animation designer, designed the the costumes that the actors wore. And you can tell they have that cut. And then, of course, i got to throw in that the giant is voiced by Ted Cassidy, also a familiar voice, not only for his live-action stuff, but for Hanna-Barbera. Absolutely. So this is really
0: something people have been asking for for a very, very long time and really something we're very proud to bring to DVD. It has been newly remastered, and the sound and picture are of highest quality. And we can't say enough good things about Jack and the
1: Beanstalk. Oh, yeah, I hadn't seen it since I was a kid, and it totally holds up, and I can't wait to force my daughter to watch it.
2: I had never seen this. This had not played for me. and It has not in years, yeah. And it is not only what struck me. I mean, George, you know, you talked all about all the people involved and everything like that. It's there on the screen. You know, it's incredibly ambitious. You can tell it didn't have the budget, but Gene Kelly himself almost is... Like the magic beanstalk. Like he, he is. He keeps growing. Was. He grows to this. I mean, like his energy and spirit infuses this and and really makes it come alive. And when he dances with the little mice and stuff, I don't know if any kids at the time would know that that was going back to, like, anchors away or well, whatever. And
0: the thing that's really wild is he wasn't a spring chicken anymore. Yeah. Yeah. He was 55 when he did this. He still could dance as well as he did when he was 25. He was still at the top of his form. And it was only seven years later that That's Entertainment came out. Just to put Uh, everything in perspective. This is 15 years after Singing in the Rain. His career after the MGM musicals was spotty. And he did some directing. He directed big pictures like Hello, Dolly. And... He had TV specials, and he certainly had highlights. But some of the things he did have been forgotten, and Jack and the Beanstalk is one of them. I think Hanna-Barbera had limited resources. Had this been in other hands, it might have become a television perennial and shown every year at the holidays, like a Grinch or something like that. And it's too bad that that didn't happen. But we have now rectified the issue of availability, by remastering it, going back to the original elements, and bringing it to DVD, and we're delighted to have done so. Now it's time to talk about Warner Archive Instant, and this is our subscription video on demand service that you can subscribe to for free for a month if you will try it. You will like it and then you'll subscribe forever because it's just the best with hundreds and hundreds of movies and hundreds and hundreds of hours of television shows that you can watch on your PC, your Mac, your Roku, your Roku stick, your iPad. You can stream with your iPad to your Apple TV and the latter you can do using the ability to see things in 1080p HD if the content is in HD, and it's the only place where you can see most of this content in 1080p HD, and every once in a while the team will join together and offer its picks of suggestions for new things being added to Warner Archive Instant or things that have been on Warner Archive Instant for a while that are worth noting and bring it to your attention. So I will first go to Matt.
2: The last time we talked about it, we talked about these great Golden Harvest films, which we have just added, which define rare. And another new thing that we just added, which is also rare, are a bunch of different TV specials and pilots, some of which there's like almost nothing about them on the internet. These are the very, very definition of rare. Of course, the one that I picked to watch is not as rare, but it's one of those. And it's a 1994 production called Without Warning. And this is such an interesting TV special that could really only exist in the world of television. And it was originally aired on October 30th, the anniversary of the great Orson Welles' uh, War of the Worlds. And this, made by... Wolper, the television producer, right, and he's got real newscasters and they're really reporting on asteroids hitting the Earth and their reaction in sort of a a real time way. And not only is it a time machine to 1994 news production, but it gives it this sort of immediate feeling which you can't really take your eyes away from it.
0: They really went to great lengths to make this as realistic as possible. Which speaks to Wolper as an amazing legend in television production, and he also did a couple of of theatrical films. But, you know, he's best known, of course, as the producer of Roots. Right. But he did so much in terms of documentaries, and he also produced a lot of made-for-television movies and dealt with social issues and this was something that was worth thinking about and we're thinking
1: about it today in science. Dan, your pick, please. I know we spoke about Golden Harvest before, but we did a brief overlay and we kind of focused it on Pedicab Driver. Yeah. But speaking of Sam Hung, I wanted to follow up with a recommendation of Blade of Fury from 1993. He directed this one and it's a very interesting film if you're a fan of Chinese history because it's based very much on a true story, the story of General Wang Wu who founded the first Kung Fu school after his final sort of medieval battle. The film very much portrays the transition of dynastic China to modern China, I mean modern in the history modern sense, not the contemporary sense.
0: My Warner Archive Instant Pick is actually a television series that had too brief a run. It only ran for two seasons on NBC based on a best-selling book which had spawned a hit motion picture. And so MGM, as it was oft to do, decided to turn it into a sitcom and it ran on NBC for two years before it was canceled. And it made an impression on little tykes like myself who got to watch it in reruns because it was one of those rare shows that didn't have very many episodes, but it had enough episodes that it could be syndicated, and that was how I caught up with it. Mm -hmm. And the show is Please Don't Eat the Daisies, starring Patricia Crowley and Mark Miller as a uh, harried professor and his kooky wife, and they live in a kooky house in a fictional town called Ridgemont. They have four children, including two twins, two other sons, and a big, adorable sheepdog named, of course, Lad. This is a delightful sitcom, and it has some special episodes, which we were talking about right before we started recording the podcast and one of them is called Say Uncle and MGM was producing the Man From Uncle TV series which was airing on NBC. So of course they had an episode in the Please Don't Eat the Daisy series called Say Uncle where the kids are wearing Man From Uncle sweatshirts and there are even cameo appearances by the stars of the Man From Uncle. This is a show that we're calling The best of Please Don't Eat the Daisies Season 1 and the best of Please Don't Eat the Daisies Season 2. It's actually the most of Please Don't Eat the Daisies from both seasons. There are just a few episodes that we were not able to clear for inclusion in the streaming service. So it gives you, with a few exceptions, the whole series. And you get to uh, graze on it, which is great for doing on a streaming service is going through as many episodes as you can in a row without stopping and without chomping down your hand because you're all out of popcorn. It's a lovely, fun family sitcom that's very well written and holds up very well considering it is almost, oh my god, 50 years old.
2: This hasn't really been in circulation. No,
0: the only way you could see this is either through illicit illegal ways or if you had seen it uh, had a brief resurgence at the end of 1988 on TNT, when all the MGM TV shows were being shown on TNT before they started showing basketball instead. <sighs> The series is a delight, and we've just added it to Warner Archive Instant. So by all means, please don't eat the daisies, but please check out the series. (laughs) So wouldn't be a Warner Archive Collection podcast without a letter, and we do have one today. But if we're going to get new ones, you've got to send them to us. So Matthew, please opine with the best way someone can send a letter to the Warner Archive podcast. To Warner
2: Archive podcast b 160 4 3400 Riverside Drive, Burbank, California, 91522. This one comes from a longtime writer, Jimmy.
0: And from, we also always encourage the use of Crayola crayons.
2: Which Jimmy has done. Jimmy's from Alabama, and look, it's all sparkly. Okay, here we go. Afternoon Warner Archive. I want to congratulate you on the fantastic job of bringing Thank Your Lucky Stars to Blu ray. I have enjoyed this film for a long time on VHS, LaserDisc, DVD, and now Blu-ray. After watching it this time, I feel I have never seen it before. The standout sequence for me that Hattie McDaniel is in, Ice Cold Katie. Great music sung by a cool actress, as can also be proved in another Warner Archive release, Showboat. A job well done to everyone at Warner Archive, and look forward to the future. Thank you. Jimmy.
1: That's my favorite sequence in Thank You, Lucky Stars too.
2: Well, there was no question, but thank you. And that's a good reminder to pick both of those up.
1: Oh,
0: absolutely. The DVD of Showboat and Thank your Lucky Stars Blu-ray are among our most proud moments among the yeah. 2200 or so releases we've brought to you over the last 6 years, and we've got several hundred more in the planning stages, so there's no end in sight. Lots more to talk about. And we'll be back with another podcast really, really soon. So until then, I'm George Feldenstein. I'm Matt Patterson. Moose Malloy. Thank you, Moose. Thank you for listening and look for the next Warner Archive podcast.